welcome back to Dogman Radio. I'm Scott Eklund, and joining me today is 247's National Recruiting Editor, Brandon Huffman. Brandon, how are you doing, man? Doing good, Scott. Football season starting in the state today with uh, fall practice beginning, and I'm done traveling for a long time, so life couldn't be better. Yeah, uh, just for for people who uh, are wondering, Brandon and I are recording this Wednesday afternoon, so... um, you know, just uh, all pretty much every high school that I'm aware of is is kicking off fall practice today. I think there's some that don't kick off t- kick off until tomorrow, but pretty much everyone kicks off today. Um, and uh, they have what two week, two and a half weeks of practice, and then uh, they get they got games in fifteen yeah. weeks. I think fifteen. Yeah. Sorry, fifteen, 15 days. days. Yeah, fifteen days. So, and uh, there's some good uh, week zero matchups too that. Uh, Rylan and I have been looking at uh, possibly going going out to. I don't know if you're going to go to any, but uh, those should be fun too. But uh, Brandon, just want to kind of update everybody on what you've been up to. Um, tell us about what's been going on with, um, you know, your Avery Huffman charity that you that you work with, but also just what you have been up to over the past, I don't know, six months. So I have put more air miles in, more hotel nights, and more car rental. Uh, points that I've ever done, especially at this juncture. You know, I, I've, I've probably put on close to 60,000 miles in the air. I'm like three more days away from executive elite with national, I'm well past diamond for the year. And it's not to brag, it's more to just tell you, I've been on the road of time, going to camps, going to games. I think I've had, with the exception of vacation, I've had maybe three weekends since the beginning of January where there was nothing football related. And I think this, obviously it was a strange year because you had the pandemic, you had the season get pushed back. So with camps, you know, usually pushed back or usually a certain time of the year, you had games, you had camps, you had some weekends where I had a camp and a game. So it's been nonstop, a busy June, a busy July. I'm ready for normal seed return with college football. I'm ready for normal seed return with high school football and recruiting and, you know, to put 2020 in the 2021 early part of the year into the cycle or into the rearview mirror as we approach another pandemic that looks like it's now spiraling out of control. So everything's great, Scott. Everything's great. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us what's going on with uh, Avery uh, Avery Huffman uh, charity. Yeah. So this last weekend I was down in Southern California yeah. for the fourth annual Avery Huffman Woodback Classic. Uh, started in 2017. My brother Jeremy uh, runs U-Triple-S-A baseball in Southern California, so he started a tournament to honor her. Uh, a year after she passed away, we've had four of them last year. We took a year off, but it returned this weekend out in Ventura County. So got to spend the weekend down in Ventura County promoting the event, promoting the foundation, uh, raised a lot of money, had some great opportunities. Kind of cool. I got to see one of my old high school teammates, a former Pac-12 uh, receiver, but then actually back then it was the Pac-10, uh, Derek Swafford, who played at Cal, uh, was the running back that I played with in high school. He was coaching one of the teams. Another former uh, classmate was coaching as well. So it's kind of cool to see some familiar faces and realize that we're all old because we're all out coaching our kids or you know honoring our kids. So great weekend, great talent, um, and just another opportunity for us to uh, spread the word on DIPG and raise awareness for it. And that's great. And and for those who are wondering, um, real quick, you're are you having your gold? I'm sorry, I should I should have looked it up. The, the your banquet. Yeah, the Be Strong Gogo Gala got pushed yeah. back a year, largely because we were not able to secure 
the oh, facility okay. to the numbers that we were hoping to because of there still being some you know social gathering limitations. So we we're going to be doing a virtual a, a virtual auction online, uh, and then the gala will return in September 2022. Okay, and what and how do people go uh, and for the virtual um, the virtual auction? So we'll have a, a link to it when we launch it in, in mid September. It'll be on all of our social media channels, which is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all Avery Strong DIPG. You can also go to our website, AveryStrongDIPG.org, and you can find all the information there. But uh, we have some cool stuff uh, that we're going to be able to auction off. And then we'll be coming back with a vengeance in 2022. Yeah, sounds good. And for those who are wondering, we will have a link to that um, on Dogman once it once it goes live and, and uh, just because we want to help out in any way that we can. So, uh, Brandon, talk about uh, a lot of people and, and I, I, I hesitate to ask this question because it puts evaluators like you and people who do the rankings and everything on, on the spot and everything like that. But how tough was it to do the evaluation process over the last year and a half, the way things have gone? Yeah, you know, it, it got tough because the context essentially changed. You know, in, in a lot of cases, you had guys that, you know, we would have normally been able to see in a fall season. Um, you now saw them in a shortened spring season. Um, in some cases, it actually worked out because if you think about it, when you're watching a kid in his sophomore year, in his junior year, that's the fall of his sophomore, junior. Now we saw them in the spring of their sophomore or junior year. So you saw a little bit more physical growth in them by the time they got around. But then you went right from the camp, from this regular season into the camp season. So there wasn't like in years past where you see a kid in October and maybe he's 6'2", 230, and then you see him in April and he's 6'3", 260. You would see a kid in April in his high school game, and he's 6'2", 230. You see him in May, he's 6'2", 232. So you don't get to see the physical growth like we've had in years past. But I feel like we got a more accurate portrayal of what they look like in the spring. So when we saw spring evaluations, summer evaluations, you were getting a much more relevant and recent context than maybe you would have in a normal year. Um, I think the hard part was because of the spring season. You know, Take, for instance, Jeremy Bernard. His team hasn't played a game since the fall. Almost of two years. Yeah. yeah, almost two years. You, you go look at Hawaii. There was no season in Hawaii this last year. And now that season is being pushed back until late September. St. Louis is playing this week because the public schools are the ones that are being held without able to play where the private schools can't play. So St. Louis is flying out to Las Vegas to play Bishop Gorman this weekend. But take a case of a kid like Jeremy, Jeremy Bernard. His school in Vegas didn't get to play. So you're relying strictly on T-shirt and shorts for a lot of guys because there's been no high school season or there's been a, a pared down high school season. So it made it tougher just to find a lot of good relevant film for a lot of these guys. Uh, but that didn't stop schools from recruiting them. It, it did hurt. Uh, I think the 22 class has hurt more than the 21 class from an evaluation standpoint with colleges. But I also feel like because of the pandemic, there were so many more events, seven-on-seven seven showcases, camps, whatever you, you want to call them, over the course of the last year that I don't think there were opportunities lost to see these guys. It just was maybe in a different realm and different avenue. Different ways to see guys. Right. Yeah. And, it, um, and I think that that makes – you know it, it gives you more – of an opportunity to see them, but you're still not necessarily seeing them in the most 
especially if you're a lineman. We don't get to see you in pads. We're seeing you in t-shirt and shorts. And you can only watch so many t-shirt and shorts reps before you realize you're not really gleaning as much as you would be on Friday nights. So, Brandon, I, I guess one of the things that's kind of number one on the minds of a lot of Husky fans right now is is decommitments. I mean, Washington has had more than they've had, gosh, I, since basically uh, Steve Sarkeesian was here. And even with Sarkeesian, I don't remember having, I think, it, what is it, six guys that have decommitted in this class so far and um, that Washington has gone out and got and and guys have either reopened their recruitments or – um, were silent verbals that were planned to be announced and then didn't get announced. So just what do you make of that? Is it is this all having to do with NIL? Is this because a lot of schools are I, – I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with ways to explain what's going on. And, and you know, I, I don't think it's because Jimmy Lake and his staff don't know how to recruit – uh, so it's, it's got, and I doubt that it has to, anything to do with putting in the effort, which some people have said, uh, because coaches know that their job relies on being successful and recruiting good players is, is the way to be successful. So sure. What, what do you, what do you, uh, attribute this to? And just, this is just your theory. Obviously you don't know, but what do you attribute it to? Right. And, and I mean, I think this is a pretty safe theory to rely on. It's that we were in such a unique time when it came to evaluations and when it came to, you know, recruiting that if you look at the 2021 class, so many of those guys had to commit to school sight unseen. And there had to be a real trust that was developed between coaches and players. So guys were committing, knowing that there was no certainty they'd get to visit schools unofficially or officially. So we may see a large amount of transfer portal entries in a year from now, but guys are having to make commitments without the opportunity to go and really get to know these schools outside of a virtual tour, outside of a Zoom call. Well, the same thing happens in the 2022 class because there still starts out the recruiting cycle with no guarantee that the dead period is ever going to end, that there's not going to be a guarantee guys are going to be able to go and camp. They're not going to be able to go and see these schools. These schools aren't going to get a chance to see them. So you have a lot of guys commit early. Now, interestingly enough, when Anthony Jones and Sir Mills decommitted, the dead period hadn't ended. When Mark Nabu and Ben Roberts decommitted, they had already both been seen by the coaches on campus. So those four kind of, I would say, maybe test that theory a little bit. But what I think it really came down to is Guys were still in the midst of locking down their commitments and locking down spots early on. But then as things kind of picked up, as there became, you know, it became apparent that the dead period was going to end, that unofficial visits were going to be permitted to be taken, the camps are going to happen, you started to see guys get a little bit more of a wandering eye. And I think the danger with a lot of schools is they want to, you have some schools that realize this is a long game. You're not going to be able to sign a class until signing day in December. You can get commitments. You can get verbals. You can get guys to lock in spots. But until they sign, you don't necessarily have them fully. And if you look at the four guys at University of Washington lost, all decided to either open up their recruitments and commit somewhere relatively quickly after, or they took visits after they committed and now are finding that there is appeal elsewhere. And so – when you take early commitments in a normal year, if you always run the risk that there's some guys that just want to shut it down. Sam Heward committed in what thanks the day after Thanksgiving in 2018. 
and stayed strong and never wavered in his commitment until 2021, despite some schools making a push and him at least listening to them. He never wavered. He never decommitted. But not everybody is is stable. There may be, you know, we see this a lot with decommitments, period. Guys commit, they're in the boat, and maybe they don't hear from a school anymore because that school figured, all right, we already got it. Let's focus on the guys we don't have. So there's a myriad of reasons, but I think what it really came down to is there was a, a, a need that a lot of schools still felt. We got to get these early commitments locked in. And then as things started to open up, and then as more opportunities to see schools pre- presented themselves to these recruits, they started to find the appeal in that. And now you're in a situation where four guys have decommitted. And Ben Roberts is the most recent one. Happened just yesterday, right, as I was getting ready to go to uh, Husky practice. And we had to deal with that fallout all through practice and all all day yesterday on Tuesday. Um, You know, I mean, everything seems to point to him at at the very least being an an Oregon lean at this point because he takes the visit there uh, for their Saturday Night Live uh, thing that they do uh, for that camp. And then um, opens things back up. You know, I had heard from several people close to him that he had talked to the Husky coaches and they had done everything they could to hose him off. And they and it sounded like he was fine. He was still strong to Washington, but uh, um, opted to open things back up. Do you think Washington still has a chance to reel him in, considering all the things that led up to his commitment at the University of Washington? Yeah, I, I don't think that that thing is done by any sense of the word, even if he commits to Oregon, because the ability to flip is always back to where you started. The other thing that Washington kind of has an ace in the hole is that he's originally from Tacoma. He's got yep. family in Tacoma. So that's something that you always have to take into account. Maybe there is the appeal to go to Washington early on. You commit. Then you find out, maybe I want to go to Oregon. That was a great visit. But then maybe he comes back up to visit family and then says, this is where I want to be. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it all depends on does Washington continue to pursue him after he decommitted and kind of maybe in the circumstances of him decommitting, going down to the camp at Oregon, doing the photo shoot. Do they feel that maybe they need to go after other guys that are not going to have to, you know, be a real recruiting battle? And do they find somebody that's a better fit that, you know, it, it, look at a guy like Denzel Boston, you know, Denzel yeah. Boston was a, a guy that, you know, Washington, I don't think has to worry about losing him in his recruitment. You know, I don't think Washington had to worry about losing Jabez tonight. But if you're going to be in battles for the big boys, you have to be ready for the ebbs and flows. It's the the second tier recruits that oftentimes are the least, what's the word? They're, 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 there's the least amount of worry with them. And, but if you're a big time program, you want to go after the big time guys. And I think you saw that with Chris Peterson and I think you're seeing it with Jimmy Lake. They want to go after elite recruits, they, but, you, but you've got to be willing to play the long game. You've got to realize that just because a kid commits early, I know fans can't stand to hear this, but with the same flurry, I mean, you know, is TJ Hall a flake because he decommitted from Arizona when a better opportunity presented himself. And I'm not saying that other schools are better opportunities, but of course he's not. He's of course he's not a flake, Brandon. Yeah, but that's the thing. <laughs> Fans got to understand if you want your coaches to go recruit committed players, you got to understand that if you trust your coaches, you trust their ability to evaluate and their ability to recruit, that schools are going to probably recruit your commits. So you've got to be able to handle the yin and the yang of the recruiting process. Otherwise, you're going to pull all your hair out, hair out and you're going to look like me and be just this bald cue ball. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I, okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about Hiro Kanu here in a second um, out of Santa Margarita. But are there any other D-line recruits that Washington – okay, because Hiro Kanu is going to take a visit to Washington, but it's an unofficial, and he's locked in all of all five of his official visits. Now, those can obviously change, and Washington might get him to change his mind on taking an official to Washington if he has a really good visit in September. But um, where do you think that one's headed? Do you think he's probably going to go back east to maybe Alabama or one of those other high-end schools? Yeah, I'd say keep a close eye on Notre Dame. I think that that's one to really keep an eye on. Ohio State, obviously, they've had some great success with defensive linemen in recent years. Larry Johnson's an absolute magician when it comes to that. You know, I I think in a lot of cases, unless it's a local school that a kid's taken an official visit to, the official visits tend to be a good indicator of where they're leaning. Okay, so – Let's say Hiro Kanu is is a long shot at this point for Washington to get. I don't think that's that's you know breaking any new ground there. So what? Who are maybe give us two or three or maybe four names of defensive linemen that Husky fans should keep an eye on. Not saying it's over for Ben Roberts. Not saying it's over for Hiro Kanu, but obviously not where you want it to go. And Washington it needs at least one, if not two, in this class. So give me a couple names. I know there's a couple in state that are pretty good players, but mm-hmm. Washington hadn't really seen that interested in them. Well, and, you know, keep in mind that there was a point two months ago where Denzel Boston camped at Washington, sounded like he had a good day, but they weren't interested enough in him to offer him that day. A month later, circumstances change and guys become more attractive. And it's not that Denzel's, completely changed. I mean, I always thought I was a big Denzel fan. I, I've always been very high on him. But opportunities change, circumstances change, and now a guy becomes more attractive when you realize there's a need. So a couple of names that I would say Washington fans maybe want to keep an eye on here. Two of them are committed to Pac-12 schools uh, as it is, um, but they could be guys that, you know, we have a Sam Peacock situation that as they continue to develop and they continue to grow, now maybe the Huskies make a bigger push for them, and they end up deciding to stay a little bit closer to home. One of those is Jacobus Seth, who's committed to Washington State right now uh, out of Lakewood High School uh, up in Arlington. And then the other is Takari Hickel, who right now is committed to, the, to Oregon State out of Tenino. Those are two names. I think the guy that you probably look at as being the most likely candidate and, and target at this point now is Andrew Savalinea, who is now back in the state of Washington at Graham Capasson High School. Uh, started out as freshman year at GK, transferred to sophomore year to Eastside Catholic. After the pandemic, his family had to move to Oregon. He played in the Dallas, Oregon, and now he's back at GK, which figures to be one of the top 4A teams in the state, if not the top 4A team in the state. I could see him becoming you know, a, a target and a candidate down the line. Another one is DeAndre Gill out of Kentwood High School, originally from Stockton. I know watching him and talking to him as an outside linebacker, he could become more of an edge. Currently, he's committed to UCLA. Uh, So there's three or four other Pac-12 guys that I think that the University of Washington will end up taking a look at in-state. You know, these might be more long shots. They're both committed to an FCS school at Idaho State, and that's the brother, the Hill brothers, Curtis and Hunter Hill. Uh, maybe they end up becoming late offer type guys just from a from a depth standpoint. Uh, but right now, I would say that, you know, a guy like Andrew Savayanea is probably in the best position to be an in-state guy that they look at. 
I think if you look outside of the state of Washington, uh, a couple of names that, you know, like in California are guys that, you know, Cal uh, has a commitment from Demonic Williams, uh, who plays at Alamany High School in Mission Hills. He was a guy that had an early Washington offer. Uh, didn't seem to be as much of a priority, but he's had a great spring and a great summer. He's been pretty solid in his commitment to, to Cal, where he committed in Jan- uh, January. He might be a name. Maybe they circle back a little bit more and, and pick things up with Nathan Burrell, um, a guy like Rashad McKenzie, who's still kind of intriguing. He didn't do a lot of offseason stuff. Um, there's still some questions. What is he going to play at the next level? Another kid out of Elamani that he might take a look at. And then there's probably you know some ace in the hole. Maybe there's a uh, what was our guy last year from Renton, Sione Finau. Yeah, that that yeah. could be there. Although I feel like we got a pretty good handle on all the in-state kids at this point. Yeah. Um. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what route they go, or if they decide, okay, you know what, let's just turn all of our attention to 2023 moving forward. Yeah, I mean they're they're pretty deep at that position, but it could get thin real quick if they have some some early entries or guys that get hurt or something like that. So, um, all right, well, Brandon, let's move on. Uh, let's keep this going and, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, some of the Husky commits that you, you know, the guys that are currently committed to Washington that you are kind of excited to get a look at this, this spring or this, this fall, uh, Washington has 10 commits. Um, they've got three, four star guys, one guy, um, Emeka Megwa is way out of your your uh, your your area, so I doubt you're going to go see him. But are you going to try and get out and see Liberty at all, or or uh, or maybe down into the Arizona area to take a look at Saguaro? That's what Blair Angulo yeah. is for. Blair is good. In fact, he was out in Utah last weekend. That was the first school, uh, the first state that started playing games. So he was out in Utah last weekend. He's going to be in Vegas the next couple weeks, I believe. He's going to see Liberty play. I think modern day was who Liberty just added a late game with Uh, modern day had a game with Corona Centennial canceled. There's been a lot of uh, kind of a resurgence of the coronavirus and the Delta variant down in Southern California. Uh, So a lot of schools have had to cancel games uh, that have been kind of a bummer. So there's been kind of a a reshuffling, if you will, of games. And, And one of those places was, affecting modern day so now they look like they're heading out to play las vegas uh, to play liberty uh in henderson next week um that would give them an opportunity because i think what jeremy bernard is there sir mills is there and anthony jones is there yep Mm -hmm. and then you know obviously modern day is loaded uh so i would imagine that he's going to see them i know he gets out to arizona each and every year I'm effectively in the, in the midst of kind of planning my central California, my Northern California swing that I do every single year, except for last year, because there wasn't a season. Uh, but, uh, but another type of swing where I hit to about 35 schools um, and then get to a couple games as well. So, you know, between the two of us hitting the roads in our respective region, then Greg Biggins, who does a Fox sports, or I guess it's now Bally sports game of the week. We're going to get our eyes on a ton of players out West over the course of the next three or four months. What What do you think about, give me a, your thoughts. Cause we just haven't talked about him very much because he didn't do elite 11 and, or he didn't make it, whatever, whatever the situation was, but La Jolla quarterback, Jackson Stratton committed to Washington, six, four, two Oh five. You know, has an, uh, you know, 0.8559 in the, in the uh, two, four, seven. Are we talking about my GPA again? Yeah. <laughs> really? 
That was that no, good, no, huh? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, no, but j- just give me your thoughts on him. I mean, he's not very highly rated, but you go and you watch his film, he he can he can throw the ball around a little bit. Yeah, I actually got to see him in December down at the Team Akazi first round exposure camp in San Diego, and and I liked him that day. You know, there was a couple other quarterbacks that I that I thought were a little bit better. In fact, one of them, Julian Sain, ended up being the highest rated quarterback in the country. I'm sorry, in the West. In today's release of the top 20, uh, top 100 for the 2024 class, his older brother Aiden was actually the player MVP at quarterback who was headed to, to Pennsylvania to play. Uh, but in that same group, you had Jack Chatton that was there. Um, you know, you had a couple other quarterbacks that were just kind of overlooked and, and out of sight. Uh, because there was no evaluation period. There was no fall season. So I think he's positioned himself. To, you know, he's a solid three-star type guy. You know, maybe has a chance to to be a depth guy. I mean, it's hard. Here's the thing, and we see this in a lot of schools, you know, especially Clemson. Look at a guy like Clemson. Now, I'm not comparing quarterback to the situation from Washington to Clemson. But, you know, there was a stretch there where Clemson was stalking the quarterbacks. Then they get Trevor Lawrence, and all of a sudden quarterback recruiting the next year was a struggle. Well, then they get DJ. All of a sudden, quarterback recruiting the next year is a struggle. Well, now they have Cade Klubnik. You know, you look at Oklahoma. They had a stretch where they were having to rely heavily on fifth-year or transfer quarterbacks. Then they get Spencer Rattler. Then they take a year off, and they get Caleb Williams. Now they take a year off. Now they got Malachi Nelson. So when you bring in an elite quarterback, it's a lot harder that next year to get a guy to – I mean, some guys are really confident, but others kind of read the tea leaves and are smart enough to say – that's going to be a tough situation. So, you know, getting a guy like Jackson Stratton the year after you get Sam Heward, when you already started a redshirt freshman quarterback, who I guess theoretically Dylan Morris is a redshirt freshman again this year, right? Yep. Um, you know, despite being in his third year, you know, it's not going to be easy. So that's a good quarterback to land in the 22 cycle, considering you brought in the top pro style quarterback a year ago. So I, I like him. I like what he brings to the table. You know, I, I think that, He's a guy that his best football is still going to be played ahead of him. Um, you know, had a good growth, good jump from his sophomore year to his junior year. Now it's a matter of doing that again from his junior year to his senior year. San Joaquin Memorial uh, cornerback TJ Hall, I guess cornerback, safety, whatever, he's going to play in the defensive, in the secondary for Washington. TJ Hall committed to Arizona relatively early in that, well, I guess not even that early. It was, what, a week or two before Washington came in and swooped in on him and took him away from the the Wildcats. But uh, tell me a little bit about TJ Hall, what you've seen and what you like about him. Huge, huge fan of TJ Hall. I was one of the first. I was the first one in the industry to rate him. I did over a year ago when I saw him play uh, on the camp circuit. Actually, I saw him when he was a freshman going into a sophomore year, and then I got a chance to see him a lot more in the off season last year as events started to pop up. Uh, was at the fact he was at the Avery Strong uh, seven on seven tournament in Fresno, where he really kind of just wowed me. His team won the tournament. He had a couple of interceptions. Then at the opening invitation, I thought he had another uh, great event. You know, his testing numbers are never going to blow you away. He's got good measurables, may not have like the best verified testing. You know, his 40, he's probably more of a four six guy, um, but the kids' ball skills are tremendous. And I think what I love about him the most is he's a competitor. He's a dog. You're going to have a hard time finding guys from Fresno that don't have that dog mentality. And TJ Hall kind of epitomizes that. And, you know, this is a guy who has even said numerous times that his sophomore year, he knew he was going up against the best receiver in the West Coast when he was going up against Jalen McMillan. 
And Friday nights were easy compared to what he was going up against in practice. So I think you, you, you look at what TJ Hall is and the kind of player he can be. And he's a player that I'm expecting to have a big year. He's probably, you know, the number two player in Fresno right now uh, after Nate Johnson over at Clovis High School, who's headed to Utah, who's also the fastest quarterback in the West Coast. Uh, but I, I love TJ's ability. He can play corner. He can play safety. He can play nickel. He can really play any spot in the secondary ball skills. And really the only thing I think lacking with a lot more offers and a higher rating is just the, the you know, the, the testing numbers, but he's a gamer, you know, he may not, again, while you in testing may not have that elite top end speed, but dude finds his way to get his hands on the football and finds a way to lock down the uh, opposing receivers. You've been doing this for a long time, Brandon. How much do you think the testing number, obviously you want a kid, you don't want a kid who's running a five flat playing corner, right? But, you know, sometimes the numbers, even if it's at a four six, but then you watch him on game film, game film is much more important than testing numbers. Would you say? I would say it does. I mean, I think game film is still more important than anything. But having said that, there's a reason there still is an NFL yeah. combine. There yeah. is still a reason why verified testing numbers do matter. And I think one of the big things that people don't understand and don't take into consideration is a lot of these traits, a lot of these physical traits that you have as a freshman and sophomore are a good indicator because there's been a number of, and, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the movie, The Trouble with the Curve. And, and I watched it because I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan, uh, but great and movie. Also like also Amy, Adams. Amy Adams. Yeah. Fan. Yep. Um, and JT, <laughs> Not Justin Timberlake. JT's talented, but I, I think there's this, you know, there still is kind of this chasm that exists in all sports, but you're starting to see it more in football with, the data and the analysis and there's some data and analysis out there that guys are getting drafted that have certain speeds, certain verified numbers. And there's outliers that maybe don't have the fastest 40 times. I mean, how many times we heard, well, Jerry Rice didn't run a fast 40 times. Okay, cool. Now go name all the other slow receivers that became elite NFL hall of fame receivers. We go look at, you know, I mean, there's always going to be outliers for years. All we ever heard about was Doug Flutie and, uh, who was the other one? The other midget, Doug Flutie. Then it was Drew Brees. Drew then Brees, it was yeah. Russell Wilson. Now it's Kyler Murray. But it's like, okay, you're naming four or five sub 60 quarterbacks out of the billions that it feels like there's been. So there's always going to be outliers, but those numbers are still a pretty mm-hmm. good indicator. And so you see a lot of guys that if you're a four, seven, four, eight guy, that's pr- uh, productive. You're still going to be a four, seven, four, eight guy. And there's just not a lot of space for that in the NFL. So we do take the verified measurements and the verified times pretty seriously. There's a reason that you're seeing more and more schools measuring ankle size when guys are coming in for unofficials, wingspan, hand size. It used to just be height and weight. Now it's let's look at wingspan. Let's look at hand size. Let's look at ankle size. Let's look at these, you know, these frames and see what we can add on. Let's see what the lateral movement looks like when he's doing this. What is the explosiveness when he's doing this? And so a lot of that still does play in because the one thing that high school film doesn't always tell you is just how good an athlete is. It tells you what a great football player they might be, what a good high school football player they may be. But Scott, you and I have been going to games for a lot of times, me for four quarters, you for two. You'll see a lot of guys run for a lot of yards in the first half, but that doesn't mean they're fast. It doesn't mean it means they're not being tackled that Friday night, but those guys that are outrunning everybody on Friday night, don't guarantee that they're going to outrun everybody on Saturday. And so it's a matter of finding those guys that have production, but also with projectable numbers. I love how you sl- slid that backhanded oh, comment in that. there. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I, 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 I own it. 
and uh, um, it'll that's never get old. About you. Yeah, it, it you, it'll never get old for you guys. So that's good. Uh, one last person I want to talk about. We're going to take a break and then we'll hit hit a cup. Uh, the future classes here. Ryan Otten, uh, most recent commit to Washington, seemed like a no brainer, but I mean he was very close to going to to Stanford. Six six two twenty five out of Tumwater. Older brother Kate Otten is an All American candidate at the University of Washington. Everybody just assumed he was going to Washington, but uh, Stanford definitely made a push on him. Never was a doubt in my mind. I had him commit. No, actually, this was one of those where I kept hearing rumblings of Oregon State being the school to, yep, yep. to kind of watch out for, that there was a, a real attachment to Oregon State. He really liked Brian Wozniak, the tight ends coach there. Obviously, Jonathan Smith recruited Cade uh, to the University of Washington, um, Oregon State is probably Corvallis, a little bit more like Tomata than maybe Seattle is. But at the end of the day, I never saw him going anywhere than Washington. But Oregon State and Stanford both made it a little bit uncomfortable, if you will, uh, for Durham Cato and for the University of Washington. But at the end of the day, you know, it always seemed like he was destined for the Huskies. Yeah. And a guy that I've obviously been super high on, I, I think these the 22, 23, 24 tight end groups are among the most talented. It is amazing. Strength. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I mean, yeah, you had two in Oregon in the top 100 for the 2024 class uh, alone. I mean, 2023, there's, I think, six of the top 10 tight ends in the country are from the West Coast. Yeah. And what, what I love about Auten is this is a guy who's done the part that tight ends don't really like to do in modern offenses. And that's block. And that's because his offense. Well, if Cade's an indication of what you can expect from Ryan – Imagine Kay doing it, but a couple inches taller and a little bit bigger and stronger and already has that blocking part down. Husky fans have to be real giddy about yeah. what he can do. I, I've heard that a lot of people think that Ryan Otten is the better athlete, but Cade is the better football player, at least at this point, the, these relative points in their career. Um, uh, I, I agree. And remember, yeah. there, there was a lot of I mean, you and I had to base a lot a long time for is Ryan going to be, I'm sorry, is Kate going to be yeah. a linebacker? Or is he going to be a tight end? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think the Husky staff did too, because I remember Jordan pow pow and, and Bob Gregory showing up and, and I, I even asked both of them, I go, Kate going to be a linebacker or tight end. And they both looked at each other and they said their position. group. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it was decided after he got to campus, what he was going to end up doing. I kind of feel like he made the right decision. I do too. I think it was the best decision. He was a he's a great blind he was a great linebacker from a understanding things standpoint. I just didn't think he was the physical guy that you wanted at linebacker, but on the other side of the ball, he is a very physical tight end. I I think we when you look at, you know, both those guys, I think what what really comes into play is when you're at a school like Tumwater, you know the blocking part's going to have to be top notch for you. You're going to get your opportunity to catch the ball very rarely, but you've got to be able to block. But more and more with these tight ends wanting to be kind of glorified big receivers, they lose that ability to be good blockers. And I think that what's going to make Kate a lot of money is that he came into college as a good receiver, but everybody knew that he could block. And the receiving part was kind of maybe an extra special part of what he could do because he just didn't get to see it all that time. But I think that blocking part, that's the difference between being a first-round tight end and being an undrafted free agent tight end. 
All right. Well, Brandon, we're going to get a break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the 2023 and 2024 classes, the 2024 top 100. You mentioned it earlier, Brandon. It came out earlier today. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more when we get back on as you're listening to Dogman Radio here on dogman.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for uh, staying tuned to us and joining us today. Brandon Huffman, uh, 247's national recruiting editor, is is with us, Has joins us periodically throughout the year, and this is our kind of preseason uh, late summer update that we're doing with you guys just to talk about a lot of things that are going on on the recruiting trail. We've already talked about quite a bit, but Brandon, I think everybody, it's, it's kind of like on the recruiting trail, the Huskies get a commit. Yay. We're excited. Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Okay. So the 2022 recruiting class is going to wrap up here in about, well, four, four months, they'll be able to sign their letters of intent. And in six months, the whole class is completely wrapped up and then they can start enrolling and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit about the 2023 class and 2024. Talk to me about the 2023 class. We already talked about the tight end group and how it's probably the strongest position. Would you say it's the strongest position group here out, out in the West for 2023? I think so. I I, I think so. Uh, But interestingly enough in state, I think the strongest group is the defensive backfield. Oh yeah, absolutely. You've got two top 100 corners in the state of Washington, in the greater Seattle area, both like the Huskies, a lot. Both have already been selected to play in the All American Bowl. So you know, and we haven't even gotten into you know some of the guys that aren't in the Seattle area, aren't in the top 100. You know, guys like T.J. Crandall, Jalen Jenkins, uh, Andre Piper, Jordan, Jonathan Landry, because Caleb Presley and Josiah Wagner have kind of stolen all the attention. So I, I really like the corner group in state, but out west, I love, love, love. And as a former tight end myself, I'm always a big fan of the tight end classes, and I think that the tight end group with Walker Lyons with Cooper Flanagan, um, you know, with Jackson Bowers, all who had got early watching offers, Riley Williams as well. Um, I know there's other names that, I, that are escaping me right now, but I, I, Deuce Robinson, who, you know, his father was recruited by the Huskies. Uh, his uncle's Dana Hall. You know, they're, they're, you look at this quarterback, or I'm sorry, you look at this tight end class, and again, you know, five of the top nine of the country, uh, you know, are West Coast guides. And there's other guys that have a chance to, to be pretty special. I like Dorian Thomas down at Kentridge High School, Matthew Kloppenstein out of Arizona. So uh, Cooper Jensen, another guy with Washington ties, is in that top 25 group. So it's a, I think, nine of the top 30 or 10 of the top 30 are from the West. So it shows you tight ends are, are kind of in uh, – they're a premium on one hand because of how elite these groups are, but they're kind of plentiful too in the West region. You talked about uh, the two cornerbacks. Let's talk about those real quick. Caleb Presley, he was at Eastside Catholic. He's now at Rainier Beach and Josiah Wagner down at uh, Spanaway Lake. And then 
this guy does not have an offer from the University of Washington. He's still a very good uh, corner prospect. Is it is it Kiki McQueen? Yep, Kiki McQueen. He's twenty twenty two though. Oh, twenty twenty two. But still a very strong. In typically, the state of Washington produces one, maybe two D one corners, and you got two on the same on the same team. Yeah, and you know Kiki's already committed to the University yeah. of Nevada, a guy mm-hmm. that I think is a high-level player that is height maybe scared some schools off, but the kid can flat-out play. Um, you know, Deontay Hayes was their standout 2021 DB, and he's walking out at Washington State. So, you know, and the, the irony is a guy who I think might be the best player in the state, uh, you know, skill position player in 2024 is Jason Brown, who yeah. is a running back. But, dude, I've watched that kid play corner on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit, and that dude is a lockdown seven-on-seven guys lockdown corner i should say what about uh in while we're talking about it i mean we'll we'll move actually let's move on to 2024 in just a second here but landon hatchett and micah banuelos two in-state linemen for 2023 both have offers offers from washington one's from ferndale he's garen hatchett's younger brother landon hatchett and micah banuel banuelos from kennedy catholic he's he's a big kid 6'3 285 I think pound for pound, Landon Hatchet is the most BA lineman in the state of Washington for the 2022, 2023, 2024 class in, in the interior. I still think Josh Connolly is the best lineman in the state, hands down, no matter what. But pound for pound, what you see on Friday nights, what you see at camps, from the inside guys, Landon Hatchet is, my opinion, the best lineman. I mean, and I've had this conversation with his dad, Bill. And, you know, Husky fans may not like this, but I think it's actually a good thing. On Friday nights, I would take Landon over Garen. Now, Saturdays, you can see why schools wanted Garen as much as they did. He's a bigger, longer, more athletic guy. But I was at their game, the final high school game Garen played against O'Day his senior year, and I thought Landon had a better game, and he was a freshman center going up against a really good interior for O'Day, and all we've seen Landon do the next two years is just develop and grow and get more physical and more nasty and stronger. I love watching Landon Hatchet play. Uh, you know, my, my nickname for him, I, I already told him and his dad, Peyton Patent Pending, Iron Land, because mm-hmm. the kid will go to every camp, go to every event. doesn't matter. He's there, and he's ready to get his work in. He just wants to compete, too. He isn't really yep. about getting all these offers. He just wants to compete. Yes. And, and I think that. that there's something to that. That, that guys, he doesn't want to shut co- uh, competition. He doesn't want to shut, you know, the the guys that are calling him out. And, you know, you'll see him at a camp and guys will call him out because they know how good he is. And he'll get in there and he'll freaking beat that kid who asked to go up against them. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, Jaden Wayne is the, is the Jaden Wayne and, um, uh, Jabari, uh, um, geez. Yeah. Johnson. Geez. I don't know why I was struggling with the name. Those two guys from Lincoln, um, you know, Jaden Wayne has an offer from Washington. He has an offer from most of the top 25 programs in the country. Um, how do you see that one playing out? Is he going to take it all the way out until, uh, you know, the All-American Games to announce? Or do yes. you think he announces at some point before? Okay. No, I, I think that recruitment is going to be – I'm not saying we're ever going to see another JT-like length in a recruitment, but I don't see Josh Connerly or Jaden Wynn, the next two classes, deciding early. I, I could see both waiting until the All-American Bowls, 
to decide, if not longer. I know both play hoops, so both are guys that aren't planning to early enroll. They're planning to go through the process and then play their senior season of basketball, so they're not early enrollees, so there's not as much urgency there. Uh, but I think with Jaden Wayne, you're going to see that one go all the way to the finish line. Okay, and Jabari Johnson, you know, I think he'd be a great fit at Washington State in that offense that they run over there. But uh, where do you see him headed? Where do you see his recruitment going? I, I think this year is going to be key for, for Jabari. I thought he was phenomenal at the Northwest Nine two weeks ago. I think we're, you know, you saw him with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder with some camp performances this year. He did well, but size was a little bit of a concern for some people, even though Bryce Young was, you know, I'm not saying he's Bryce Young, but I'm like, I think we kind of ended the whole small quarterbacks can't play debate. Uh, but mm-hmm. Jabari needs to back it up, and I think that this year is going to be hugely key for him. Uh, I think he's a Pac-12 talent, no doubt about it. I know Oregon is still really high on him. They, they would have liked to have him at the uh, Saturday Night Live camp, uh, but he was at a 7-on-7 tournament with his high school team. So you know, he's a guy that I think that this junior season will really dictate kind of what his four years in college will look like in terms of the teams and caliber of the teams that are going to be recruiting him. I don't want to skip over uh, Jaden Lemar to uh... – Running back, Washington's offered three running backs in the 2023 class. Trey Wisner out of Connolly uh, in Waco, uh, Texas. Uh, that high school should sound familiar. It's the same one that J, uh, JV on Sunday came out of. And then uh, Sergio Schneider out of Martin High School in Arlington, Texas. But Jaden Lemar seems like the one that's most likely going to be um, one that Washington's going to have a great chance at getting. Yeah, and I think that the one thing Washington will have to worry about is as his stock has started to grow, the national attention has started to come. Notre Dame and Michigan being among his most recent offers. Ohio State invited him out to their select camp that they did in July. So he went out there for that. So, you know, the, the one thing – here's the thing. And I think this is still something that Washington Husky fans have a hard time dealing with. It's a good thing when your in-state talent is being recruited at a high level nationally. Because that tells you that the caliber of football in the state that you're in is improving. You know, you don't want to be a state that only uh, look at some of the schools in the big sky states. They're only being recruited by their in-state schools. They're not really seeing, unless there's a rare kid, really recruit that state. But I think if you're Washington and you're seeing the Ohio states and the Notre Dame, yeah, it makes your job that much more difficult. Yeah, it makes it that much more tough to keep those guys close to home. But Welcome to big league football. Utah's been dealing with this for years. California's been dealing with this for years. Arizona. Arizona's been dealing yeah. with this for years. Yeah, I mean, Arizona has a hard time. Colorado, you know, Washington's kind of in that last state of the power five states out west that has been able to keep their guys close to home more often than not. And then in recent years, you've seen more of those guys leave the Pac-12 footprint. That's a good thing for the state because it shows that there's a respect level for the for the ability. The downside to that is that means your job becomes that much more difficult. No longer can you really push the narrative of, hey, you want to stay home and be a hometown hero when you're also recruiting kids from California and from other states trying to tell them, leave your state to come here. You want, you've got these other guys that are seeing their own in-state brethren leave and flourishing, and it just means that you have to recruit them that much harder, that much more difficult, and prove to them and give them reason to say, this is where I want to be. I want to stay home. Let's move over to 2024 real quick. The top 247 just got released. Kim uh, Grinolds and I uh, talked about the four in-state 2024 guys that Washington has already offered that all made the list. Top guy is Issy Afua, is Zendre Afua out of O'Day High School. Him, we call him, I love it when we call him Big Papa. Yeah, 
I know. <laughs> and he does kind of have that big teddy bear kind of look about him, but uh, he is not a teddy bear on the football field. He grinds on guys, really gets after them. 6'5", 330 pounds, can move top. Uh, I mean, he's he's rated higher, at least at this point, than Josh Connerly is. He is. And the difference is, is that, you know, Josh Connerly didn't really do any camps or events. Both were, were, were kind of in backup roles as freshmen. Uh, they had other talented seniors on the team. In fact, when Josh Connolly was a freshman, Nate Kalepo was the tackle who was in front of him at Rainier Beach. When Papa was a freshman, Owen Prentice was the guard in front of him at O'Day. So the difference was Papa went out and did the FSP air game, which didn't exist when Josh Connolly was the same age. But he went to a number of camps in pads and dominated at that. And you see that. But, I mean – you look at the 2022 class when that top 100 dropped, Josh Connolly wasn't on there because he didn't really do a whole lot. I went to the game second week of the season and said that's the best player in the state of Washington. So Papa had the advantage of going to some camps and getting on some radars earlier. Um, and, you know, the, the difference is, is Connolly's a tackle. Papa's big thing is that he's an interior guy. So, you know, with Connerly, it's a matter of, hey, he's got the frame, he's got the athleticism, let's put the weight on him. Papa, his big thing is for as much as he weighs, as big as he is, it's not sloppy. It's not. Not at all. Not at all. like a rock. And Um, um, just real quick, and I'm not comparing the two. I think uh, Afua is very much more athletic than Julius Bulow. But Julius Bulow is 6'8", right? And does does Big Papa have the chance to get up to 6'8", since he's 6'5", as a freshman? Nope, I don't think he gets to six okay. eight. What I do think he does get to though is that Josh Garnett size, where you know okay. Josh Garnett was at six five, three thirty. It's interesting. There was a four year gap between first round NFL draft picks that were linemen that weighed over three hundred pounds as high schoolers, and then there was about a three or four year run where not one lineman picked in the first round weighed over three hundred pounds. Well, Josh Garnett was the last one in 2016 before the 2020 class had a few more. So it shows you that, you know, schools really prefer the thinner, longer guys that they can put the weight on. But if you're a monstrous, punishing, just bullying 300 plus pounder, they're going to find a place for you. And I think that that's one thing that that Papa has shown is you look at what he did down at Alabama. And, you know, that was kind of JT Tumolo's national coming out party. He went down there and just dominated some dudes. And I think Papa was able to do the same thing. And so he's become this national name at his size, despite maybe being a little bit heavier than you want your lineman. This isn't a sloppy, heavy guy. Yeah. And highest rated offensive lineman to come out of the state since Foster Sorrell, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And before that, it was probably Josh Garnett, or is he higher rated was, than Garnett was? He was higher rated than Garnett was, but that was the last five-star lineman before uh, Foster Sorrell. Okay, so this guy's in rarefied air as far as mm-hmm. talent talent coming out. Now, Foster Sorrell didn't have the greatest college career, but some of that was injuries more than anything. So, um, yes. um, so you just got to take that into account. Well, his teammate, Jason Brown, we've already kind of talked about him a little bit. Speed back, but not just speed. He's He's got power to go along with that speed. Mm-hmm. And he's a strong kid. If you look at him, the kid's yoked. He's you know in really good shape. But what I love about him too is his balance. The way he runs with balance. You know, he's going to get compared to Miles Gaskin a ton because they both played at O'Day High School. Uh, but he's got a very uh, similar ability to to Miles in that whenever Miles got hit, you just knew okay, cool. Now you just spun him around and he's going to beat you going the other way. Now 
because his balance and his ability to stay on his feet was always so good. I, I think that Jason Brown's got a lot of similarities in that. He's not as compact of a back as Miles, but they run so similarly where you don't necessarily see a guy that blows you away with speed, but you're not seeing anybody catch up with them once they get into the open field. Yeah, um, totally agree. At talented kid. Um, Rayshon Clark and Braden Platt are the two uh, defensive guys from the state to get on the list. Um, Rayshon Clark is out of Life Christian. Not a big school, but they have some talent on that team. And then Yelm, uh, linebacker Braden Platt. Yelm is not a school that typically has FCS Power 5 pro- or FBS Power 5 programs coming to it to, vi- to visit. But I think Braden Platt's going to bring some. Yeah, and in fact, they did have their first Power 5 signing that I can remember in Dylan Jemtegaard, who's now at Cal. Uh, in the 2020 class, uh, but before it would have been 2021. Uh, but before that, um, you know, you mentioned Rashawn Clark. He's now at Federal Way, and and part oh, of that that's really my mistake. I, I apologize. Okay. Yeah, ju- just announced it this week that he is now there after playing at Live Christian. So we're going to get to see what he can do at a much higher level of football at Federal Way and part of a, a really strong league and a part of a really strong secondary. Uh, a kid that I like more as a corner than I do as a receiver. Not that I don't think he can play receiver, uh, but I think his ability to play corner is really his biggest strength. Um, one of the offers that he has is as a receiver for Washington State, but University of Washington offered him as a corner. And I think that's the other uh, interesting indication. A year ago at this time, the three top 100 guys in the state of Washington were Jabari Johnson, Jaden Wayne, and Josiah Wagner. And when the list came out, only Jaden Wayne had an offer from the Huskies. Now, a year later, all four of the players in the top 100 already have Husky offers. So we're seeing a school that has notoriously been more deliberate in the recruiting process, hasn't offered freshmen as frequently as as other schools did. There's a lot of schools that offer kids as eighth graders, which I don't always think is a good idea. In fact, I think it's a terrible idea because there's been cases where a kid gets an offer and all that's done is put undue pressure on him and he doesn't go on FCS D2 despite having an early Pac-12 offer. You know, what good is there in that? I think Washington's been much more deliberate. But when you find a guy like a Papa Fua, like a Jason Brown, like a Rashawn Clark, uh, and like a Braden Platt, go in. Go in on them at that point because I think they're going to bring you a, a lot of value. I wasn't at the Dirt Dog camp, but I know the other three guys all participated in Washington's Rising Stars camp. So they got a chance to watch him in the spring, and then they watched him in in the, in the the uh, their camp. So I think that's mm-hmm. definitely a reason why you saw some, an offer go out to those guys. But um, there's one other receiver I want to talk about from 2024, and you um, should have an inside scoop on his recruitment. Hmm. And kid out of Auburn Riverside, I heard this kid by the name of Cade Huffman is a guy. And, and Brent, Kim and Grenolds and I already talked about him. But uh, – um, how weird is it to have your kid on this list? Oh, not on the list, but on, on the list of recruits for 2024. Is that kind of weird? It, it is, you know, and he, he's a varsity receiver at Auburn Riverside, swung between JV and varsity last year, didn't get to play in any games, which was, uh, you know, a learning experience, something that I didn't do. I didn't play varsity as a freshman. I had to wait till my sophomore year uh, to, to get called up. But it, it's funny because, you know, a lot of these kids I've seen play against Cade when he was in – you know, seven in middle school when he was in seven on seven. Even some of these kids I saw play baseball against them, and, and so it's now weird. I mean, I was in my fourth or fifth year covering uh, recruiting when he was born, and now 
I'm covering his class. The, the hardest part for me is I started doing this job right before my daughter was born and she's a senior now. So she's part of the class of 22. So <laughs> I literally have been doing these, you know, since these seniors were born and yeah, they, they, you know, I'm, Casey Katie's going to be a heck of a personnel guy. He's going to end up in a football office somewhere, you know, gritty gym rat, first to leave, last to, last to leave, coachable, uh, deceptive speed, scrappy, all those, uh, all those things. I, he did not give me any issues this morning. He did not say I was sleeping on him for not including him in that list. Uh, in fact, he's actually become a pretty, uh, pretty good evaluator because they, they'll play some of these teams and some of these games and he'll say, hey, you need to take a look at this guy. This kid's really good. Or we played against this kid in this seven-on-seven term. You should take a look at him. And, you know, he's got a pretty good eye for it with some guys that he he took a dub against me and I took an L. I kept telling him that there was this kid that, that he knows really well is smaller than I think because I still look at this kid like he's a seventh grader when they first met. He's like, no, he's like – 6'1", 175, so I sent the coach a message. I said, hey, can you give me – I'm trying to break a tie here. Can you tell me what the height and weight of this kid is? He said, 6'1", 175. I was like, dang, Cade, your, uh, your eyeball test ability is pretty strong. Mm-hmm, yeah. And and that's uh, – I just – I mean, I've, I've seen that. He was, gosh, about five years old when I met you. And, and no, it was, it's more than that because I've known you for about 15 years, but he was about five years old when I finally met him. And, uh, he was out there just wanting, wanted everybody to throw the football with him. That's what he Mm -hmm. wanted you to do on the sidelines. And you of course told him to go away and, uh, (laughs) the rest of us threw footballs with him, but, uh, glad for him. I'm actually kind of excited just to see what he ends up doing. I I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, Brandon, just wrapping it up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today and uh, just to update everybody once again on how they can get involved with your foundation, whether it's it's maybe being a volunteer or being at one of your events or one of the things that they that uh, you guys have going on. Yeah, you can go to any of our uh, social media channels, Avery Strong DIPG on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, go to our website, Avery Strong DIPG. Uh, .org. There's ways to donate. There's ways to do in-kind donations that we can then auction off as part of our events. There's, you know, drives coming up. September's a big month. It's Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, we plan to do our big, our first big shirt drive with our, our new logo, our new name in the next couple weeks. So plenty of ways to, to just give back and to fight back for these kids. And, you know, we want to continue to honor Avery for the rest of our lives. And the more people that join us in that fight, the more we can have a chance to, to put an end to this monster. All right, Brandon, we really appreciate you taking the time once again. And uh, everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're, we're really excited for to get to real football in the fall out here in the West. How nice is that going to be, Brandon? Oh, so nice to see yes. football games on Saturdays in college football stadiums, but more importantly, to see football games on Friday nights and Thursday, and Thursday nights, nights in yep, Washington. Yep, yep. I've been planning out my schedule already we're gonna have to compare so that uh um because i know you don't want to be on the sidelines with me so i'll tell you where i'm going and then you can adjust yours uh, appropriately right it's only a half that i have to worry about being yeah. on the sidelines with you Thank, thanks man i appreciate it all right <laughs> well brandon once again thanks thanks for joining us and thanks for tuning in you're listening to the guys from dogman.com on dogman radio 